0: For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible Conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. I'm going to begin reading in the last three verses, and then I'm going to go right over to the 14th chapter and the first verse, and then I'll be pinpointing some other places in the 14th chapter to read, okay? 2 Samuel 13, verse number 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai the son of Amihad, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Now Joab, the son of Zeruah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And now I'm going to pinpoint some Scriptures. Verse number number 14, rather. For we must needs die, and as our water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person. Yet doth He devise means that His banished be not expelled from Him. And then I'm going to pinpoint another verse, verse number 24. And the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. Uh, Verse 28, please. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. In verse 32. And Absalom answered Joab, behold, I sent unto thee, saying, come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Geishir? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right on with the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great school. The music tonight, as through the whole conference, has been beautiful. We have been sitting in the heavenly places practically because we know we're there positionally already, but it was so good to hear the music glorifying God the way it has. Thank you for the preachers that we've heard this week and the ministry that you've given each and every one of them. Thank you, Lord, for this school and the mark that they've made for America and the world, for time and for eternity for the good and the great kingdom of God on earth. God bless Pensacola Christian College. May truly the best days be yet to come. And as they approach their 50th anniversary, I pray that they'll enjoy the renewal of a new day and greater ways to serve you. I pray, Father, that you will arrest our attention tonight through the word of God and give us a stillness here, Lord, Help us to minister what you've laid upon our heart with your help and then with your power. And we promise to give you the praise for the results in Jesus' name. Amen. Amnon lusted after his own half-sister Tamar, Tamar the full sister of Absalom. And the Bible points out that Amnon had no intention of taking advantage of her. But the Bible said there in the third verse of the previous chapter, but Amnon had a friend, and of course that friend was Jonadab, his cousin, that was a very deceitful and subtle man who gave him a plan on how he could take advantage of his precious, innocent, virtuous sister. And he went through with the plan and took advantage of his precious sister, and she left the room tearing her precious symbolic robes because of her now defilement by, who was apparently the heir to the throne. Absalom told his full sister, in other words, so many words, keep it quiet, he's your brother, don't say anything, I've got this. And she went under his protective care. And so now it's two full years since Absalom orchestrated his brother Amnon's death which he did, and he became a fugitive. The years had had gone by, and um, so, and I should say, let me clarify, Absalom orchestrated his brother's death, and then he was a fugitive. And the Bible pointed out there in the latter part of the 13th chapter that David was longing after his son. He accepted the reality that Amnon was dead by the orchestration of his brother Absalom, but he longed for Absalom again. Probably of all the sons that David had, probably Absalom was the most magnetic. He had stunning looks, great personality. He had the ability to still the hearts of men, and it takes a man's man to do that. But he missed his son perhaps missing some of those joyous occasions they at one time had. Joab, forever the albatross around David's neck, when he was good, he was very, very good. And when he was not, he was evil. He was a terror. We don't know everything that he was up to. I know one thing. I was warned in my youth. Beware of the man who, if he cannot be the king, will be the kingmaker. And that seems to be Joab's goal in life, to manipulate the king to rule from behind the scenes. So he saw David's longing heart, so he gets with this wise woman from Tekoa, who no doubt had some actress ability, and he writes out a script for her, gives her a story, a very apropos story for His Majesty King David. And the story that she gives David is that she's got two sons, and they're fighting. And during the scuffle, one of them takes the life of the other. And now she says in the story that my relatives want me now to consent to taking the life of my remaining son. And then she pointed out, if they do, they're going to quench my coal. And that was an expression that was very understood in that day and age because they did not have a social security system or welfare of any kind. In other words, if you uh, lost a spouse and you lost the breadwinner of your family, then it was up to the remaining children or nephews to take care of mom or dad, whoever is left. So you take my son out, then I'm gone as well. And they'll quench my coal. And then she made an incredible statement that even though this is maybe a scenario put up by Joab, was a scriptural truth. She points out to the king we must needs die, verse number 14, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banish be not expelled from him. And of course she explains, this is what you've done. You have expelled your own son. Whereas God has devised the means that his banish be not expelled from him. And that's illustrated in the Bible. One of the best illustrations of the product is the story of the prodigal son, how that he had disgraced his family and disgraced his own life, but yet his father was looking for his return. God has devised the means that his banish be not expelled from him. God leaves a path back for the prodigal. So, David, of course, recognizes Joab's hand in this, and he acquiesces and agrees to letting Absalom come back from Gesher. Interesting place, Gesher. That's where his maternal grandfather lived, and it appeared that David picked up Absalom's mom as his wife in a raid that he uh, committed when he was really not in a good place in God's will when he was hiding out with Achish. And So he was in the barbarian environment for a couple of years, and David says, okay, you can bring him home. But the Word of God points out that David says this, verse 24, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. Verse number 28, so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Now at this point, he comes home and he's gone two years without seeing his dad. Two years have gone by. Why? And so Absalom starts petitioning Joab to please tell my dad to let me come home because his dad says, Absalom could come home to his own house, but he can't come to the palace. He can't come home here. And then Absalom panics because he can't get through. And now the years have gone by and he hasn't seen his father's face. So he has someone set The fields of Joab on fire. And Joab is all upset. And he comes and says, why did you do this? And Joab, or rather Absalom points out, wherefore am I come from Geshur, verse 32. It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So now if you put this together, the three years previous to these two years, He takes the life of Amnon. He's gone for a few years, now for two years. It's been five years since he's seen his dad. He says, I've got to see dad. I can't live in the suburbs of his forgiveness. Halfway forgiven. You can come, but only come so far. Stay in the suburbs. You can't come downtown. I forgive you, but just stay where you're at. And that's what I want to speak to you on the living in the suburbs of forgiveness. Is that where you've placed somebody? The suburbs of forgiveness? In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By the love you have one for the other. The one thing that earmarks us as Christians is the love we have one for the other. The Lord Jesus said, This will be how other people who don't know me will know that you know me by the way you love each other. Not just by the way that you love the world, but by the way you love each other. It was said of those that were sitting in the Colosseum when they were watching the Christians be mutilated and killed in front of their eyes as they would see them band together as they were being picked off by the wild animals of the gladiators. The, the Romans said, oh, how they love one another. Isaiah 38:17 says, "For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back." Micah 7:19 says, "He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea." As Cory ten Boom said, "When God forgives us of our sins, He places them in the deepest part of the sea, and then puts up a sign saying, No fishing here." Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 21, for even here in two were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Follow his steps. Uh, Let me give you an idea. Matthew chapter 5, let me just read you a little bit here in case you forgot. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord gives us a Sermon on the Mount and he does take the higher approach to life. Ye have heard, verse 38, that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. It has been said, if we live by that principle, the whole world would be blind and toothless. Verse number 41 And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Ephesians 4 for just a moment. I'm going to turn to Ephesians 4. So if we're to follow in Jesus' steps, We are to bless those that curse us. We're to turn the other cheek and to be what my mother used to always tell me. Johnny, be Jesus. Be Jesus in this world. In Ephesians 4 and verse number 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here it is. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's reiterated in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Wow. Wow. In Matthew chapter 9, I, I, I wasn't going to share this with you, but I, I'm just really wanting to show you something here to me that's interesting because it's said virtually, it, it's it said twice. In Matthew 9, we see that Jesus is hanging out with these people that really need Him and they know they need Him. See, everybody needed Jesus, but it wasn't hard for the public to know that they needed Jesus. But some of the Pharisees felt like they were earning their way and they didn't need Jesus. And they were very critical of Jesus being kind and reaching out to those who did not know him. It says in verse 12 of Matthew 9, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. They want to know, why are you eating with the sinners and the publicans? And then he says in verse 13, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Please notice what he said. Go and learn what that meaneth. In Matthew chapter 12, we see a very similar thing. He says in verse number 7, but if you had known what this meaneth, this is Matthew 12 and verse 7, if you had known what that this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You have not condemned the guiltless. They were condemning the disciples because they were having some lunch on the Sabbath. He said, you need to know what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Our Lord who wrote the Bible was familiar with the Bible. He quoted the Bible often. He quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. But he had no problem going to some of the, what we would call minor prophets and bring out a truth. And that's what he was doing here when he said, you need to know what that means. You need to know what this means. I will have mercy. I will have mercy. Those words were taken from Hosea, the sixth chapter... And, and let me just share with you, what, when he used these words, what that meaneth, because actually he tells us what that meaneth. And I, in Hosea 6, in verse number 6, he says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And so what he was telling the Pharisees, you've come here with your big offerings, thinking you're going to impress me but what you've done, you've condemned my disciples because I let them have lunch on the Sabbath and you didn't like it. You've condemned me because I'm willing to save this publican here. He said, you need to learn what this meaneth. I will... Have mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, He was the sacrifice. He said, "You've come here with a sacrifice, but what would I want out of you? Well, here's what He here's where He was quoting quoting from Hosea six in verse number six. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You've brought me these burnt offerings, but your heart is far, far from me. If you had my heart, you would join me in having mercy." And the word mercy there in the book of Hosea, chapter six that we just read is from a three-lettered Hebrew word chesed. It's used 248 times in the Old Testament. When Miles Coverdale, before the King James, when Miles Coverdale was translating the English Bible, he was exasperated and frustrated with the word chesed because he saw in that word love, kindness, grace, mercy. Goodness and a few other words. And there didn't quite seem to be an English equivalent. When we do translation work, that's often the case. For instance, uh, in German, that's a word, we have no English equivalent. It'll almost take a paragraph to explain it. It means a loneliness and a homesickness for somewhere we've really never been, but we know it exists. That's in that's kind of what we have for heaven. We haven't been there, but we have this desire to be there one day. Same for this word, uh, like uh, the Gaelic word harith, that's the similar one to sunzuk, but we don't have an English equivalent. So he was frustrated because it seemed like when he looked at his Zed, he can't, what word can we use? In 1535, this is great, in 1535. Miles Coverdale invented a word in English that until then had never been used before. Here's the word, loving kindness. Jesus says, learn this of me. I have loving kindness. I will have mercy. More than coming to this place, to Jerusalem, with articles in my hand, I'm coming with my heart. You've come to me with things in your hand, but not your heart. Learn this of me. I will have mercy. I will have Hased. Have you placed anybody in the suburbs of forgiveness? Are you obeying the words of Jesus? Forgiving one another for Christ's sake? Or God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you? Have you ever thought that word is often used in a slang expression? How people say for Christ's sake and they don't even know what they're saying. That's how God forgives us. When do we place people in the suburbs of forgiveness? Number one, when our pride will not permit us to unconditionally forgive. Here's what people often say Well, I tell you what, Brother Pope, if they say I'm sorry to me, I'll forgive them. Really, let me ask you a question. In Luke 23 and 34, when our Lord said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, was anybody standing at the foot of the cross saying, I'm sorry? I'm sorry for the nails, I'm sorry for the crown of thorns, I'm sorry for the whipping. No one. Our Lord proffered forgiveness. If you have been offended, keep this in mind, people by nature who do the offending also don't take the initiative. It's going to take the spiritual one to do the spiritual thing, and that is take the initiative. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Acts 7.60, and he that Stephen kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Jesus actually stood up to welcome the first martyr, Stephen, into the kingdom of heaven in the heavenlies. There was a man that heard Stephen pray that prayer and he never quite got over the echo of Calvary and that's what Stephen was doing he was echoing Calvary forgive them it was Paul who was able to say forgiving for Christ's sake i know what that is on a first hand basis you see whenever anyone in the jewish custom won an argument against the debate if the man was declared a heretic he could call for his oustedness or his Death. When they, they made the vote by placing the clothes, their cloaks, at the feet of the one who won the debate, the Bible says they place the clothes at the feet of Saul. What that meant was Saul called for Stephen's death. Kill him! Stone him! And as they're stoning and the blood's pouring down, Stephen forgives for Christ's sake. Unconditionally. He did not say earn this. You think about this in the twelfth verse of the sixth chapter of Matthew in the model prayer, our Lord says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you know, if you notice in Matthew chapter six, that is the one portion of the model prayer, the only portion of the model prayer that our Lord put an addendum to Because in verse 14 and 15, after he said, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, it's like there's an oh by the way. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That is illustrated in the 18th chapter of uh, Matthew, verses 21 through 35. I'll tell it to you real quickly. The man owed the king, I'm going to give a modern day term, $20 million. That was about what that would have been worth about 10 years ago in the Bible language, $20 million. He couldn't pay back. He says to the Lord, you know, be patient with me, I'll pay you all. The king knew he couldn't pay him back. So he forgave him all. So he leaves the presence of the Lord who forgave him 20 million dollars worth and he finds a guy, modern day terms, owes him 20 dollars. He grabs him by the throat says, "Pay me all." He says, "I can't." But if you'll be patient with me." He wasn't patient with him. He put him in debtor's prison. He's called back to the Lord and the Lord says, "Wait a minute. I forgave you of 20 million. Why can't you forgive him of 20 bucks? And because of this, I'm delivering you over to the tormentors." What a story. He was pointing out that if we do not forgive like Jesus forgives, that we're going to be in torment. Show me anybody, it may be you, that you're living with animosity and angst and anger in your heart towards someone else that you've not forgiven. Oh, no, I said I forgive. I will, and I will when they fret me. Yeah, you've kind of halfway gone there, but not all the way. You're tormented, aren't you? The people around you walk on eggshells. (laughs) If you walk in the house, you got a pet dog. He puts his tail between his legs because you're in the house. A person that doesn't forgive is a tormented person. You see, when you forgive, two people are freed. The person you have forgiven and yourself and mainly yourself. When do we put people in the suburbs of forgiveness? Number one, when our pride will not permit us to unconditionally forgive. Number two, we put people in the suburbs of forgiveness when we want to see people suffer for the wrong they have done. This was antithetical to what Jesus said in turning the other cheek. He goes a mile, no, go the second mile. And he was using hyperbole, you know. Matter of fact, when Jesus gave the illustration in Matthew 18 about the man who owed the king $20 million and then his friend owed him $20, he wouldn't pay back, that came right after Peter said, how often should I forgive? Seven times, and Jesus said, 70 times seven. He wasn't saying 490 times, he's saying as often as needed. You don't come to the point where you say, I'm through, I'm done. You've lost your chance to ever be forgiven and now I'll never ever forgive you or I will forgive you if that's what it'll take for God to hurt you. Isn't that strange? In Romans chapter 12, notice what it says in verse number 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And God means that. (laughs) There was a pacifist Quaker that was losing chickens. They were being stolen every other night. And he couldn't stand that. So one night he set up guard. And here comes a guy with one chicken under each arm. And the Quaker very sweetly and peacefully said, I love thee, friend. I wish to do thee no harm. However, thou art standing where my rifle is about to fire. As much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Verse number 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. So, this is what he says, Vengeance is mine. By the way, In Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers, you know the guys that threw him in the pit? And of course, he ended up going to Potiphar's house and then to prison, but he ended up in the palace. You can't keep a good man down. His brothers had done him wrong. But then he got the vision. And he understood exactly what was being interpret, what was going to be interpreted by the Pharaoh's dream, and that was uh, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And he literally saved the world from hunger. And his brothers come down from the Holy Land, and he stays in his disguise. They couldn't recognize him. He's talking with an interpreter, and finally he revealed himself, and they are aghast when he declares that he's Joseph, their brother. And then he said this, this is precious, he said, come near to me. And I think reluctantly they did it, they came near to him. But then after Jacob died, and they were now living in the land of Goshen, they were very nervous, they thought that, that, that Jacob or Joseph is going to do him in, and so they uh, set up a little story, hey, dad wanted you to know that uh, you need to go ahead and forgive us. And, and the Bible points out that Joseph wept in Genesis 50. And Joseph said, no, 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 you meant it for bad. God meant it for good. I'm not mad. I don't hold anything against you. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Get over it, guys. And then he said the most interesting thing. He said, uh, and I believe it's there in verse number 19. He said, am I in the place of God? That's That's a great question. Am I in the place of God? You see, if I take vengeance in my hand, I'm playing God. He is declaring that when we take vengeance in our hand, we're playing God. That's what Paul reiterated right here. God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's in my hands. Don't you take it upon yourself. That's my business. So therefore, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. In the Holy Land, even to this day, they will carry much of their stuff on their head. Uh, they didn't have any matches in those days, and so when they're fireplace ran out of coal they would go to their friend's house with an iron pot and their friend would grab two or three uh, pieces of flaming coal and put it in the iron pot and covered with ashes and they would take the flaming coals to their house and they would put it in their house and their cold house would become warm and their hungry house could eat food after they cook it and that's what Jesus is saying through the Apostle Paul. So if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some the drink because when you do this you give them warmth you give them something in Christianity that the world will never give them so this is what god expects us to do when we want people to suffer for the wrong they've done to us and it's only because of that that we say okay I'm sorry you know okay I forgive you you know what I mean I forgive you. But you want them to suffer. If you're praying for God to bless them that curse you, you can't turn the bless into a curse. You've just contradicted what Jesus said we're to do. Number three, when we say we forgive people but we want to have nothing to do with them, Replace Him in the suburbs of forgiveness. When God forgives us, have you ever thought about this? There are no suburbs in heaven. Matter of fact, that's why I believe that heaven has a street of transparent gold because there's nowhere that we can be in heaven without seeing the face of Jesus, the Lamb who is the light thereof. Revelation 22, 4 says, and they shall see His face. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, And even now, we don't have to wait to heaven because the Bible says in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being open so we can see with spiritual eyes. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The person who forgives has vision. Be thou my vision. So we can say with 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face on this side of eternity, Beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I believe as Brother Adam was talking about, uh, Brother Alan he was talking about, that we go from grace to grace. One graduation after the other. We go from one glory after the other glory. We live like Jesus. We begin to enter into the glory What is the glory of God? It is the manifestation of God. We step into the glory and we keep acting like Jesus and it gets another level and we get another level until finally we're there. That's why the Bible points out that the path of the just is of the shining light that shineth more and more until the perfect day. And there we shall see his face. Joseph said to his brethren who had transgressed against him, come near to me. Living Goshen, get in my face. Hebrews eight twelve. For I will be merciful unto their righteousness and their sins and their iniquities, while I remember no more. Matter of fact, it's said in verses seventeen through nineteen of Hebrews, and their sins and their iniquities, while I remember no more. Now, where the where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore. I love this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness, holy is by the blood of Jesus. He says, not only do I forgive you, but I want you to get into my face and come into not just the outer court, not just the inside court, into the holy place, but the veil has been torn. Step into the holy of holies and come there boldly You don't have to tuck your tail between your legs. Come here. Come to me. Open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. You see, when God forgives, he doesn't put any of his children in the suburbs of forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard for uh, for us to get this into our mind and our heart because it's so much against human nature. It was against the nature for Corey Tin Boom after she was lecturing in Munich and she sees approaching her the former SS guard who tortured and tormented Betsy, her sister, and herself. The guard that she stood naked in front of, and thankfully, she never went into the atrocities that this man had committed. But he walks up to Corey Tin Boom. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein! To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. And this former SS guard who tormented her and her sister, among others, said, I know God has forgiven me, but I want to hear it from you. Corey said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth of charity. So again, I breathe a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And I never knew such intense love of Jesus until that moment. Chris Friday is a man that I've, I still pastor. He was just telling me last week that when he was in Iraq, that he met a man from Africa Then in Iraq who wanted a Bible and know more about Christianity. And he began to tell him how he had seen Christians suffer. He said to Chris Friday, this church member of mine who was stationed in Iraq, he said, I saw a woman who was ordered to recant by the Islamic Brigade. She would not recant her Christianity and one by one her family was killed in front of her and she still would not recant. And the years went by and he says, and I know this to be true. In the strangest situation, the murderer of her family moved next door into the apartment. She knew who he was. He did not know who she was at first and she invited him over fed him, and when it dawned upon him who she was, he said, how could you invite me into your home? She said, because God commanded me to forgive you. I've told here, and I'm not going to go in the detail to tell you, the truth that pains me to tell about a family in our church that went through some incredible discrimination, and even at the loss of a precious nephew, And they forgave the man that took the life of that nephew. Or a woman whose father had abused her own son and set him on a pathway of a lifestyle that was contrary to Christianity. Never, never forget, as we were burying her 27 year old son, and she said, Pastor, I've heard you preach forgiveness. That's what you want me to do? Forgive my father? Who is the real reason that we're burying my son today? There's a lot of things that I can't get my hand around or even let alone my heart around, but I accept that these are the teachings of Jesus. When apartheid fell in South Africa, there were many atrocities. They wondered how we're going to handle the atrocities. How are we going to find unity when so many people have been done wrong by those in authority, what are we going to do here? So they set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and they brought in the perpetrators of the crimes and the victims, or those who were still family members of the victims of the crimes. In the book, What Good is God, by Philip Yancey, I was recently reading this, and It's not often that I'm reading a book that I break down and go into a boohoo, but when I read this, I boohooed. A policeman named Van de Bork recounted an incident. This is in South Africa. A policeman named Van de Bork recounted an incident when he and other officers shot an 18 year old boy and burned the body, turning it on the fire like a piece of barbecue meat in order to destroy the evidence. Eight years later, Van de Bork returned to the same house and sees the boy's father. The wife was forced to watch as the policeman bound her husband on a woodpile, poured gasoline over his body and ignited it. The courtroom grew hushed as the elderly woman who had lost first her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond. What do you want? From Mr. Van de Bork, the judge asked. She said she wanted Van de Bork to go to the place where they burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. His head down, the policeman nodded, agreement. Then she added a further request. Mr. Van de Bork took all my family away from me and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend the day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Van Boort to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him so he can know my forgiveness is real some in the courthouse spontaneously began to sing Amazing Grace. As the elderly woman made her way to the witness stand, but Van de Bork did not hear the hymn. He had fainted, physically overwhelmed by grace. This is not a new sermon for me, but I will tell you whenever I preach on this subject. I have people that have a lot of questions in their mind. One question that some of you may be in your mind, you may be thinking, Brother Pope, you don't know what my father or an older male member in our family did to me. You have no idea. Brother Pope, you have no idea of how I was abused emotionally, physically, sexually. You have no idea how I was abused. We're very thankful that we still live in a government that basically has borrowed her law from the law of God. So I would say with the Winslow boy, let right be done, let justice be done, but let justice be done. Let the punishment be applied. Vengeance is the Lord's, and the Lord sometimes uses a state, and if the state missed it, God didn't forget it. God will take care of it. So how should my attitude be? Forgiveness? Now, remember the last point is, you say you forgive, but you don't want to have anything to do with them. I understand there are some cases, for instance, that you're not going to hang out all the time. For instance, if there was a man that left his wife and he remarried somebody else and she remarried somebody else, you say, listen, the preacher said to forgive, so let's stay every weekend together. That might not be appropriate. I do understand that. And if there was a crime against you by someone, you might not want to be with that person alone. So I do understand that. But the attitude of the heart means everything. Like this precious lady in South Africa who proffers forgiveness. Feeling it is her duty to offer the forgiveness. It's his duty if he's going to get in on it. Let God deal with them. And sometimes we say, well, look at I know I'm a little bit, uh, in part, it's 2% me, but I guarantee it's 98% them. Well, let them deal with the 98%. You get your 2% right. And if it's even 100% them, go ahead and be Jesus. Five years, Absalom didn't see his father. For five years, a lot of bitterness can build up. For five years, he did not see his father's face. He was almost forgiven, but not quite completely. You know, tonight, maybe there's some of you right here, right now, right where you're sitting, need to ask the Lord to give you the strength and give you the help to go ahead and forgive him, forgive her, forgive them. Upon what grounds? Calvary for Jesus' sake. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. (laughs) That's hard, Brother Pope. It is hard. But we are saved by the grace of God, and he's given us heaven as our home. That's supernatural. Many of you have prayed, and you have had miracle answers to prayer. Why not trust God for the miracle of forgiveness? Granted. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Don't live with anger. The Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, but forgive for Jesus' sake. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.